Well, it's pretty clear that this is the day of good news, right? I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. Jesus rose from the dead. Now, on this day of great news, it's my privilege and pleasure to give you more great news. And the great news that I have the privilege of sharing with you is that you've been praying for quite some time for the leadership team to be uh, making progress in their search for uh, your next pastor, and uh, they've made such great progress that uh, this coming Friday night, you will meet the candidate that's at the top of the list. And uh, we're very excited to share that news with you. Um, we are not releasing the name of the candidate simply because he is uh, currently pastoring at a church. And in this day and age of social media, if we release the name and somebody slips and says, hey, this guy's coming to check us out and maybe be our next pastor, if somebody reads it that it's at his church, it could be trouble for him, you see. So we're not releasing the name of the candidate, but Friday night, we want you to come, and you'll, you'll meet the candidate. I can tell you, though, some really good news about the candidate. He has a beard. I mean, like, I know this is somewhere in the top of the list, but yes, he has a beard. Now, when you, when you exit uh, this room today... Uh, there will be ushers in the back, and they're going to hand you this sheet of paper, a sheet of paper. And on this sheet of paper will be uh, the list of things that are going to happen in conjunction with this candidate that's coming. And you, you will see that the meet and greet will be this Friday at 7 o'clock, and we'll have light refreshments. Uh, Saturday, weather permitting, there's going to be a bonfire on the beach, and you can talk to the pastoral candidate and his family. Uh, informally and kind of get to know them in that setting. And again, all, all of this information will be on this piece of paper. Uh, a week from today, uh, they, the candidate and his family will be in both services and he will be preaching. So that'll be great next week if you come and be part of that. Uh, and then uh, Sunday uh, after the service, uh, they will go back to Anchorage and fly back to the lower uh, 48. But then we have our town hall meeting that, interestingly enough, was scheduled uh, before we even had this candidate on the horizon. We, we had this scheduled about a month ago. And so the plan was, and still is, a week from tonight at the town hall meeting to talk about the transition. And we're going to talk about uh, the NCS report results that we shared. And we're going to talk about the transition team a little bit. But now this takes on a whole new, a whole new dimension because uh, a week from tonight then, uh, we will be voting on whether or not you want uh, to move forward in having this candidate be your next pastor. Let me be, try to be very clear that uh, this uh, time of uh, looking the candidate over, this is for everyone who calls Birch Ridge their home. And that means that a week from tonight, when we have the town hall meeting, 
If you call Birch Ridge your home, and I'm kind of guessing that you do because you're here, uh, we want you to come and be part of that, and you can participate in that vote. So uh, you've got, uh, if you haven't been praying about this search process, uh, start now because um, you have a week to begin to pray about it, and so that's really good news. Hey, I don't know if you like to travel. I love to travel. I hate to fly, but I love to travel. And one of the places that we really love to travel to, my wife and I, is uh, the town or the uh, country of Guatemala. Love Guatemala. And uh, one of the times that I was there on vacation, I decided I was going to like uh, hire a guide to uh, take me horseback riding up the side of a volcano along the shores of Lake Atitlan, which has been called the most beautiful city in the world. So I got there, and it was just me and him that day, just the two of us. And I sized him up, and I noticed that he was short. He was old. He was so old, he was older than me. And, yeah, I know. And he, and he walked with a limp, but when he looked at me, he had these blue eyes that just pierced right through the back of my head. And I thought, ooh, there's more to the, sto- there's more to the story. Some, there's something about this guy. And so we're, we're beginning our ride, and we're on horseback, going through this little trail, uh, up through the, the uh, jungle in Guatemala. And just ahead of us, two Guatemalans appeared, out from, uh, from the underbrush, carrying machetes, standing, looking at us. And the guide said something to them in Spanish very loudly. I don't know exactly what he said. I know a little bit of Spanish. But then he added this. He said, aquí es mi pistola. He patted his belt. Now, I think pistola is Spanish for pistol. (laughs) And they looked at him, and they looked at each other, and they went back into the underbrush, and we never saw him again. So I began to talk to him as we were going up the side of this volcano, and and he began to talk about guns, and he's like, he knows a lot about guns. And he said, yeah, I'm one of the few people in, in the world that can take apart and name some sort of uh, pistol. I, I don't know the name. I'm not a gun guy. I'm one of the few people in the world that can take that kind of pistol apart and put it back together in 42 seconds blindfolded. I'm like, really? I'm thinking there's more to the story here. And so he begins to talk, and he goes, yeah, well, when I was, when I was uh, doing my work in, and he named, like, these countries, these, these countries that, like, there's stuff going on in these countries. I'm like, ooh, what's going on? And he was telling me all this stuff, and I, and, and I said, did you work for the government? He got quiet, he goes, yeah. I'm like, and so I said, did you work for, like, the CIA or something? And he got quiet and he said, I could tell you, but I have to kill you. <laughs> and he didn't laugh. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, there's more, there's more to the story here, you know. And so when we think about the Easter story this morning, I, I, I'm just here to tell you there's more to the story. Now, maybe a week or two ago when you heard that I was going to preach on you know, Easter, there's more to the story. You're like, well, yeah, we know there's more to the story. 
And of course there is. I mean, we think about what Easter has become in our culture today. I mean, in our culture today, you, you got your Easter parade. Maybe somewhere they still do that, you know. You got your Easter parade. You got your Easter candy. You got Easter clothes. Uh, you got your Easter ham dinner. You got your Easter color eggs. You got your Easter basket. You got all that kind of stuff. Um, and then on Facebook, you, you know, it's like we're going to get in on this and, and more to the story and just like this one Facebook message. Easter's not about the bunny. It's about the lamb. I'm like, well, that's true, but that's kind of a no-duh. I mean, that sounds really nice. That sounds really cute. I mean, I, I like that, but, but there's, there's more to the story. And you might be here today thinking... You know, in your wealth of church background, you're like, well, you know what the more to the story is. It's the resurrection of Jesus. And yes, that's true, but guess what? Thank you. There's even more to the story than the resurrection of Jesus. Now, that's at the heart of it. That's critical. And, you know, man, we got to have that. And if we don't have that, then everything falls apart. But if you just see the Easter story as the resurrection of Jesus, you've missed the point. There, there is more to the story. And to help us understand the more of the story, uh, let's look at this little incident of Jesus meeting the money changers. And so he's there in John chapter 2, he's talking to the money changers, and Jesus becomes upset, and he and he pushes the tables upside down and gets a whip out. And, you know, he's just like, hey, you're not going to turn this temple into this, you know. And, and here's, here's what it says. Let's go to the text, John 2, 18 to 22. The Jews then demanded a sign of him. What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again. The Jews then, oh, I beg your pardon, I've read that. They, they replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So there he is in the temple. He's doing these things that are really out of the norm. You know, he's confronting the money changers there in the temple. And they're like, hey, by what authority are you, are you doing this? And we need a sign that, you're, that you should be doing weird things like this. And so the shocking reply of Jesus is, if you destroy this temple, I'm going to raise it up in three days. Now, that's really strange, and the Jews that heard him say this were in shock because, as you saw in the text, they saw that it took 46 years to build it. It's a massive building. It's an elaborate building. It took a lifetime to build this temple that they're standing into or, or next to. And so Jesus is saying, well, it's going to all come down. It's going to fall apart. What's the sign? Well, okay, it's going to rebuild. It's going to be rebuilt in three days. And they're like, wow, this guy is weird. That's not in the text, by the way. But remember this. John is writing these words 
Many years later, many years after the event, he's looking back and he's understanding. He's understanding that Jesus isn't talking about um, this temple, but he's talking about his physical body. That's the temple that Jesus is talking about. And John admits in the text that it wasn't until after the resurrection that the disciples got it. The text is really foreshadowing the resurrection of, the, of, of Jesus Christ. It's foreshadowing this rebuilding of his earthly temple. Now, that's a big deal because the resurrection of the dead is not any small thing. I don't know if anybody here has ever been around when somebody was dead and they got resurrected from the dead. If you have, talk to me after the service. I want to hear your story. But it's not entirely unique. There are resurrection stories in the Old Testament, and certainly you remember perhaps some of the resurrection stories in the Gospels. For example, when this this, uh, ruler or this important man came up to Jesus and said, my 12-year-old daughter, she's sick, and man, we got a problem, and can you come and help us out? And so Jesus went with this man, and they walked upstairs and walked into the room, and there is this this 12-year-old girl. She's died. And Jesus looks at her and says, as he takes her by the hand, he says, get up. And this dead girl came back to life, and she got up. Maybe the most famous resurrection story, aside from the resurrection of Jesus, is Lazarus, the the friend of Jesus, and he was sick, and Jesus arrived on the scene, and by the time Jesus got on the scene, Lazarus had been in the grave uh, four days. I don't don't use the King James Version much in my my own uh, Bible reading, um, because I, I find it, you know, a little bit hard to understand sometimes, and if you love it, that's great. You and I are friends. But I love what the King James says when Jesus is like, we're, we're going to raise him from the dead. You know what the King James says right there? He'd been, he'd been dead four days, and now here comes King James. He stinketh. <laughs> he stinketh. And I'm like, yeah, you bet he stinketh. You know? But, but you read the story, and Jesus says, roll back the stone." And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus was raised from the dead. And we're like, wow, that's so awesome. And then it doesn't even stop there. In Matthew's gospel somewhere, it says that when when Jesus died, many saints who died burst out of their graves. You remember reading that? I mean, it's in there. It's the original walking dead. I mean, it's right there in in Matthew's gospel. And so I'm saying that if the more to the Easter story is simply about the resurrection of the dead, then we've missed the point. You know, we know that there's a difference. Nobody said to me when I came to church this morning that um, Lazarus has risen from the dead. Nobody said, he is risen indeed. See, there's, there's, something, there's something different. There's more to the story. 
And the first thing that you know right away, without even looking any further in the text or me preaching any further, is, is this, that those that were raised from the dead, they're going to die again. But this resurrection of Jesus from the dead, there's something different about his body. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, he will never die again. There's more to the story. Now, to really grasp this and to drive the point home, and so you and I can understand it better together, we go to resurrection morning in John chapter 20. And I'm going to read John 20, verses 10 to... I might stop a little bit short of what I had planned to read, but let me just start reading. In John chapter 20, verse 10, Then the disciples went back to their homes... But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, Mary, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. I, let, me, let me just stop right there. And I want you to begin to think now about the events of Holy Week that we've just gone through uh, in, our, in our own culture today. We're thinking about Holy Week that leads up to resurrection morning today here on Easter. Now think about the sixth day of Holy Week. And the sixth day of Holy Week, if you need a little help here, it's Good Friday. And so on Good Friday... Christ is arrested, Pilate presents Christ to the crowd, and Pilate says to the crowd, among other things, behold the man. Now, I really see that as an echo of the creation story, because on the sixth day of the creation story, man was created. And at the end of that day, God's like, wow, that's pretty good. In other words, behold. You see? Behold, behold the man. And do you remember the last words of Jesus on day six of Holy Week? The last words of Jesus that he ever spoke as he hung on the cross? It's, this, it's these words, it is finished. And do you remember when God finished creation? You know, it's like, I'm all done. You see? In the creation story. Day six, I'm all done. Now, if that isn't weird enough, there are other similarities between the week of creation and the week of Holy Week. But it all begins to come together when you recognize that, that those two weeks parallel each other. They really do. Again, think, think about, about Good Friday again. And think about this, that on day six of creation... Adam was created, and um, 
Then you have uh, Pilate saying, day six, behold the man, Jesus is the new Adam. Except he's not going to fail like the old Adam did. Now, what happened on the seventh day of creation? Nothing. Oh, nothing, sorry, nothing. God rested. What happened on the seventh day of Holy Week? Nothing. Nothing. The seventh day of Holy Week, yesterday, the day after Good Friday, it, it's like silence. We don't hear from God. It just, it, it's, it, there's nothing there. So now if yesterday of Holy Week was the seventh day, then what is Easter? Easter is the first morning of a new week, right? It's the first morning of the new week, and it is the first day of new creation. Now, there you go. God has brought Jesus back from the dead, and when he did that, he just didn't breathe new life into a dead and decaying body, but he recreated him in some sort of weird, mysterious way that we can't really figure out. It is a new and glorified body, a, a, body, that, will, a body that will never die. Um, and and that's, that's why this, this body could be like not in a locked room, but then all of a sudden Jesus could be in a locked room. See, it's a different kind of body. It's why when he walked with his friends on the Emmaus Road, they recognized him, but they didn't recognize him. It, it's a different body. It will never, ever die again. And I'm convinced that when Jesus came back from the dead in this new and glorified body, it is the first fruits of the new creation, and the world has never been the same since. Because it was the first physicality that would never see decay. I'm convinced if there would be a, a, a would have been a, a, a scientist or a doctor or a chemistry expert that if they could have done some, some uh, close examinations of the cell, uh, cell structure in the resurrected body, they'd be like, ooh, what's this? This is different. It's, it's a different body. It's a different kind of creation that than we have ever, ever seen on this planet. Now, think about this. Think about the scene there in John 20 where Mary comes to the tomb early and it's dark. It's the first morning of the new creation, but she doesn't have it all. She don't have it all figured out. But when she gets there, she sees this man walking in the garden. Who is the man? It's the resurrected Christ. He is the new Adam. And what did the old Adam do? He walked in the garden. And what did the old Adam do? He was the gardener. And so here is Mary. She doesn't really know what's going on. She knows that the body is gone. And she's like, what happened to my Jesus? And she sees this man walking around in the garden. And the text says she thinks he's the gardener. She ain't exactly wrong, because it's the new Adam. 
walking in the garden with this resurrected body. I hope that now you're starting to get the more to the story, more to the Easter story. It's simply this, that Easter is the first day of the new creation. And there's more to come. There's a lot more. There's a lot more to come. I hope that you're getting this. And one of the things that I really love in the story is that Mary is drawn into the story and Jesus asks the question of Mary, why are you crying? It's the morning of the new creation. We are flooded with hope. Why are you crying? And so now you are drawn into the story as well because the question now becomes to you, why are you crying? Why are you upset? Why are you struggling? Why do you stay awake at night worried about finances? Why are you all, why are you crying? Because we know that when we are in Christ, the, text, the Bible says we are a new creation. And yes, that means that someday when we die, if we are in Christ, if we've asked God to forgive us of our sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that when we die, someday we will be resurrected to new life. And I love that. I believe that. I live for that. But guess what? When you are in Christ, every morning when you wake up, it's a new day of creation. And when Christ is with you and you wake up, guess what? It's the new day. It's the new day. This thing of being a Christ follower is not just some sort of, as they used to say when I was young, which was a long time ago, it's fire insurance. You know? Well, I'm going to, just in case there really is a hell and my sins send me there, I'm going to, because someday I'm going to need my fire insurance. Okay. But what about tomorrow morning? And what about the next day? Jesus gives us hope every day, every morning, because every morning with Jesus is a new day of creation. Why don't you stand with me and let me pray for you. With your head bowed and eyes closed, let me just suggest that you can experience a new day of creation if you haven't done so already. That you can know that Jesus lives in your heart. And maybe you just need to pray a little prayer like something like this and pray, Dear God, I believe that Jesus is your son. I know that I've done wrong. I know that I've sinned. Would you please forgive me for that? Help me to experience new creation today, tomorrow, and in the world to come. Now, Father, if anyone here has prayed that prayer, it's a good thing. It's a good day. And I'm thankful, Father, for every person that's here. And I hope and pray that everyone will be able to say that Jesus is their Savior and lives in their heart, and they are living every day as new creation.
And so we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.